After a couple of weeks off on vacation, we were one week we went to Josie's folks in uh, northern Illinois, and her sister and family from Montana came, and her brother and his family from Colorado came, and uh, we went to a wedding there. We went to a water park up in Wisconsin and enjoyed that. And then they all came down here, the brother and the sister and their kids. So we had 16 kids at the rectory last week um, and, and all the adults. So I was very grateful for the remodeled rectory and the extra shower in the basement. <laughs> came in very handy. So, uh, and I was ready to get back to work. So I guess that's what a vacation is all about, right? You're ready to get back. And uh, thanks, uh, Wayne, for filling in uh, in the pulpit, and Patrick Egan as well, and Ernest helped out as well, uh, celebrating communion, so I'm grateful to those guys. Well, I want to speak to you today primarily about what uh, Paul is, is writing here in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 4, and it goes into chapter 5, and just before he gets into this section of scripture, he's been talking about the new life that these Ephesian believers have been given in Jesus Christ, and he's calling them to walk according to this new life that comes by faith in Jesus Christ and the renewing work of the Holy Spirit. And he makes this, he uses this image of, of walking around in clothing and, you know, the the old life is to be put off, put off the garments, the soiled garments of the old life, and then walk around in the new life that is a gift that God has given to you. He says, just before this passage that's in our bulletin, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life before you came to faith in Christ, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. The old way of life is corrupt through deceitful desires. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self that's created after the likeness of God. You're being renewed to become more and more like God through the work of the Holy Spirit. And that is a self that reflects something of God's very nature in true righteousness and holiness. And then he gets into this passage about what it's like to walk around in the new life. And especially as it relates to how we relate to one another in the body of Christ. And we are called to walk in love towards one another, he says, as Christ loved us. We are members of one another. So how we walk this life out affects other people. We are members of one another. So walk in love as Christ loved you. As I studied this passage of Scripture, I was struck that so much of what Paul is talking about here relates to how we talk. How we talk to one another and how we talk about one another and the words that we use in the body of Christ. Now, there's some exceptions here. He has this passage about the thief should no longer steal, but do honest work with his hands. And the motive there is to build other people up. He, he, he should work with honest hands so that he will have something to give to those in need. But a lot of this has to do with 
how we talk and the attitudes that are behind our, our words. And again, this is about walking in love with one another in the body of Christ, in the local church. I came across a, a poem that Maya Angelou wrote about words. She says, words are things. Words get in your walls, your rugs, your upholstery, your clothes. And finally, words get into you. Words can get into you. And I think we've all had that experience where words have penetrated deep inside of us, for good or ill. I remember a time when I was in fourth grade, and I was kind of an honorary student. And my fourth grade teacher was an angry man. He had a problem with anger. And I had a problem with exacerbating his anger <laughs> by not listening. But one day he, he blew his top towards me and took me out in the hall and told me what he thought about me and what he wanted to do to me. And those words got into me, you see. And it built an even greater wall of resistance towards him and a resistance towards learning from this man. Next year, I had another teacher, and she spoke words. She told my mother, this kid does have some potential. (laughs) And she called out some gifts in me, and those words got into me, and those words built me up. So words build up, or words can tear down. Words can lead to corruption and sin and decay, or words can be means of grace, Paul says. And so I want to talk about the kind of words that he's saying, that he is mentioning here, and um, what he wants us to pursue, walk around in, and what he wants us to leave off, the old self. And don't put on those clothes anymore, because you've been given a new life. He starts by saying, put away falsehood. Therefore, having put away falsehood, that belongs to the old life, let each one of you speak the truth, with his neighbor. And then here's this body language again. For we are members one of another. Paul's very concerned in this passage, in this section of Ephesians, to point out that the truth builds up the body of Christ. Maybe these Ephesians had a problem with truth based on their pagan lifestyle. So he emphasizes this in this section of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, he says... Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Christ, who is the head. But it's, it's by speaking the truth in the context of loving relationships that we grow in maturity. We're to speak the truth about who God is, who Christ is, who we are, the truth about the world. Speak the truth in love, he says. And then a little bit later on in chapter 4, he comes back to this issue of truth once again, and he says this. He says the truth is in a person. The truth is in Jesus. He says that explicitly. The truth is in Jesus. You have been taught in him, and the truth is in Jesus. The truth is in a person. If you want to know the truth of God, you want to know what true humanity looks like, look to Jesus. Speak the truth in love. Look to Jesus, who is the truth. Build each other up in the truth and do away with falsehood. 
Do away with lying. Why do people lie? Well, all sorts of motives and reasons for why people lie, but there was a study that was conducted in the 90s at the University of Virginia, and uh, there was 146 or so people who participated in this study, and they were to record every social interaction they had with people that involved conversation and especially lying. And whenever they told a lie, they were to be honest and write down what they lied about and why they lied. And um, researchers found that on average, a person lies, the people in this study, lied once a day. They told a lie a day. And the reason they gave for lying is they did not want to look stupid or they did not want to appear unkind or they wanted to save themselves for some sort of embarrassment. And so, so they lie to, to protect themselves, to hide. So lying is, is a form of hiding and self-protection. That's at least part of what's going on in lying. Paul says, no, we're to be a community in, in, a, in a culture that speaks a lot of falsehood and there's a lot of deception. The church is to be a community that speaks the truth. And we don't have to hide ourselves. Some people do. They hide behind lies or behind a mask because they're afraid to share who they really are and they think, I don't want people to know that I don't know enough or I'm not good enough or if they really knew who I was, then they would no longer want me or care for me. But Paul is calling the church to be this community where we speak the truth in love to one another, to build each other up and we can be honest about who we are. And then we can point people to Jesus Christ. We don't have to hide behind lies. We're called to be truthful to one another and not to manipulate people by lying. So speak the truth, not falsehood. And then Paul says in, down in verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Interesting phraseology in this verse. Let no corrupting mouth come out of your mouth. Like, don't let it get past your lips, your teeth. You you grab it before it gets out. In other words, think about the words that you're saying and the effect that it might have on other people, and don't let the corrupting things come out of your mouth. Um, But only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. So here he's saying that our words can be a means of grace. And as Anglicans, we talk about the sacraments as means of grace. God meets us in the sacraments. God gives grace. God gives mercy. God gives love. God gives himself when we approach the sacraments in faith. We commune with God. They're a means of grace. But here Paul is saying that our speech, it's not a sacrament that Christ instituted, but it is sacramental. It can be sacramental in the sense that it can be a source of grace, of people encountering the goodness and love and mercy and truth of God. So we are to use our words to to do that, to be a means of grace. And that might be a prayer for us. God, how can I speak in the church and with other people so that my speech is sacramental, so that my speech is a means of grace? And I'm 
grateful that there are people here in this congregation, I catch them all the time, doing that very thing, building people up with their words. People here who are very good at using their speech as means of grace. But he says, leave off the corrupting talk. Don't let that come out of your mouth. And the corrupting talk surely includes the things that he's talking about in this passage that's in our bulletin, lying, falsehood. Uh, Later on, he talks about clamor and slander in verse 31. But it also has to include the things that he talks about in chapter 5, which is not printed in your bulletin, as he begins to talk about a culture that is awash in sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness. And so he says in Ephesians 5, 3, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named. Don't speak it. Must not be even named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. They do not have a place in the body of Christ. So in the first century, you know, they didn't have, of course, TV. They didn't have HBO or Howard Stern or rap music. But they had sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness. And they had crude and foolish and filthy language to talk about those things that they were immersed in. And Paul says, not in the body of Christ, because it's corrupting. You know, and and, and Paul is not being a killjoy here or or prudish. He, He understands what this language and the culture that it represents does to people spiritually. And how this grieves the Spirit of God when that comes into the church. He says in verse 30, right after that, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed on the day of redemption. So let's just try to make this concrete. I'm not saying that this goes around at Church of the Resurrection, but let's just try to make this concrete and, and, and visualize how this works out in the body of Christ or how this could be a problem in the body of Christ if this kind of corrupting speech was something that was regularly heard. you know, Think of a young man who comes to church, or it could be a young woman, but we'll just use young man, or it could be an older man or woman, but we'll just stick with the young man coming to church, and he, in this culture that is awash in pornographic images and sexual immorality, and it's the idol, probably the main idol of our age is sexual immorality and sexual freedom apart from God, and he's struggling in this area of his life. And he's being very careful in battling this and trying to watch what he clicks on and watch what he views on TV and the things that he listens to. It's a battle for him, and he knows it's corrupting. He wants to maintain purity in his life and in his relationships. And it's a battle. And he comes to a church where church members are telling dirty jokes and telling sword stories and talking about the things that they saw that he knows are the very things that are corrupting and choking out the life of God in him. How's he going to respond to that? Well, he might say, I can get this in the world. I'll go somewhere else. Or it might lead him to compromise. And he might say, maybe this isn't as big a deal as I thought. Because these folks 
seem to not have a problem with it. And, and maybe he'll use that as a rationalization, the compromise in this area of his life. Paul says, no, this kind of talk grieves the Holy Spirit because of what it does to us and to others, you see. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Paul is concerned about the words that we say because he's concerned about our love towards one another, and he's concerned about the body of Christ being built up in love, you see. And then he says in verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger, these are attitudes, dispositions of the heart, let that, the bitterness, the wrath, and the anger, and then that yields, it produces, clamor and slander. Let all that be put away from you. And the clamor and the slander, again, has to do with what's coming out of our mouth. You know, clamor, another translation of this is just simply yelling. The anger, the bitterness, the rage leads to, in some cases, people yelling. In other cases, people slandering other people behind their back. And he says, no, that's, that needs to be put away. That needs to be put away. At this point, I think it's important to remember what our Lord teaches us about words and about the way we use words and what it says about our interior life, our heart. Remember Jesus says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. In Luke 6, as he's talking about that, he talks about trees and fruit. Trees and fruit. The bad tree produces bad fruit. The good tree produces good fruit. A bramble bush is not going to give you grapes. And he says, the man who stores up evil treasure in his heart brings forth evil things. The man who stores up good treasure in his heart brings forth good things, good fruit. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when we have problems in this area of our life, um, that means that something's going on in our heart that needs to be healed by the grace of God, needs to be repented of. We need to, once again, say, Lord, you have given me new life to walk in. That involves new speech. And, um, and I need to be renewed in this by your grace. If a person is storing up bitterness, wrath, and anger, it comes out in yelling, shouting, clamor, slander. Pretty heavy stuff, I know. This is another kind of heavy, heavy story here. But I heard a, a, a pastor was, was sharing a story about something that happened in his church with an elder in his church, and the point of this story was to teach his students who were going to be pastors that you can't judge by external appearance. This elder was a respectable man, a business kind of man who had respectability in his business. He was an elder in this church, which means that he had to know his Bible and know his doctrine. And so he had that respectability, and he knew his Bible, and he knew his doctrine. But then in a church meeting, when the pastor first got to this church, they had a church meeting, and this elder proposed a course of action, and the pastor just sort of gently opposed it and said, you know, I don't think that that's right at this time. It was in a very gentle 
way, but he did oppose the man publicly. The man gets up, or no, the wife of the man got up and ran out of the church because she knew what was going to happen next. And she had been on the receiving end of this, yelling and clamor and slander. And so she left. And this elder got up and verbally unloaded on the pastor and created, of course, a great deal of tension in the church. And the point is, you can look good on the outside. This is what the pastor was saying. But what's going on in here? A good indication is what's coming out of the mouth. This is the teaching of Christ. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. I don't think we have to keep analyzing these do's and the don'ts in the passage. It's there. It's there for us to read. I encourage you to take it this week and sit with it prayerfully and really pray through it and ask the Lord to reveal, are there areas in my life where I'm, I'm sinning in terms of how I'm speaking? And maybe he will, as he did with me this week, point out some things that I need to repent of. Maybe he'll lead you to Reconcile with people that you've hurt with your words. Or maybe the Lord will also point out to you areas of growth in his grace where you can thank God for the work that he's done. And I'm a changed person. I'm not the same person I was 10, 15, 20 years ago. Because of your grace, I have, I have grown in those attitudes that Paul talks about in verse 32. Kindness and tenderheartedness and forgiving one another. Because of what you've done, Lord, thank you. Help me to continue to grow in this grace. What I'm asking you to do is to take this passage and prayerfully reflect on it and ask him, how can I grow in the grace of using my words in a way that builds up the body of Christ? Now, there's a key here that I have to point out, and this is the gospel key. This is the good news key of this passage. The key is the resource that we need to walk in this new life because this doesn't come natural to any of us. It didn't come natural to the Ephesians. That's why he's bringing it up. It doesn't come natural to us, right? If somebody hurts us, the instinct is to hurt back. If there's something that causes offense, the instinct is anger rather than moving towards forgiveness. Paul calls us to do here. The gospel key, the grace that we need To live this out in the body of Christ is to look to Jesus. To remember Jesus. That is the only way to live this Christian life. And so Paul says, forgive one another. How? As Christ forgave you. Remember Christ's forgiveness. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. In other words, don't store it up, but forgive as Christ forgave you. Walk in love. How can I do that, Paul? How can I walk in love, especially when people have hurt me in the church or in my family? As I remember, Christ walked in love all the way to the cross. He walked with the cross on his shoulders. For me, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And as I reflect on Christ and his love and what God has said to me 
through Christ, it softens my heart. It changes my heart so that these attitudes and these actions and these words can begin to flow. Remember the words that Christ spoke to you, that God in Christ has spoken to you. You are forgiven. Though your sins were as scarlet, they're now white as snow. You're forgiven. You are my beloved son and daughter. Though once you were alien and stranger to me and an enemy and opposed to me, you're now my beloved son and daughter. The bread that I give to you is my flesh. And this gives you eternal life. So as we remember the words of Christ, the grace through those words and the deeds of Christ that he offered up his life for us, then our words and our life can be a means of grace to others. And the body of Christ can be built up for the glory of God. Amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for speaking words of life and grace and hope, forgiveness, wisdom into our lives. We pray that those words would take up such residence in our hearts and minds that we would be changed and grow into more and more into the likeness of you, Lord Christ. This is what you call us to. This is the work that you have done and are doing in us. Help us to look at our lives honestly in your presence and repent of the way that we have used words perhaps to manipulate people or to slander. And God, help us to grow in this grace of using words as a means of grace. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.